welcome into another edition of Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Noah Gardner here with you, changing the narrative in the sports talk industry. We are what sports talk should be, bold. Thank you for listening once again on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports or on demand for the audio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Guys, I don't like it when people don't hold themselves accountable, when they don't own up to it when they're wrong. And look, plain and simple, I got it wrong last week. Roll the clip. I've been saying all summer when this schedule came out or for the past month when the schedule came out that I thought Auburn was going to be further along offensively than Georgia going into this game. And that was even if Jamie Newman was the quarterback. Now JT Daniel is having to figure something out in a role that I don't think he expected to be in. I like Auburn in this one, and I'm going to say by at least 10 points. I'm going to say a 10-point victory for Auburn on Saturday against Georgia. Put the bag over my head. This is, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I just, it was, it was so unexpected and pitiful. It was like kicking over a paper mache statue. It was just a terrible, terrible performance by Auburn. And uh, I can't keep doing this show with a bag on my head. But I'll say this. Auburn's performance against Georgia, subpar, embarrassing. And I understand the frustration that is coming from the Auburn fan base. And and what a shocker it is, that's sarcasm, about the fact that a vocal portion of the Auburn fan base immediately began to clamor for Gus Malzahn to be fired by halftime. And it has came all throughout this week. And I get it. I understand Auburn fans are tired of losing to their rivals, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. And I feel like it's more of a losing to Georgia and LSU kind of thing because Auburn's at least beaten Alabama three out of seven times in the Gus Malzahn tenure. Namely, like I said, fans are frustrated with that Georgia and LSU losses because of the way Auburn has lost those games several years I felt like Auburn has looked to be the better team going into those matchups. Maybe not last year with Auburn-LSU, but for the two years prior to that, I think Auburn was the better team over LSU. And then for several years in the Auburn-Georgia rivalry under Gus Malzahn, it has felt like Auburn has been the better team. It just hasn't been able to find a way to win it. Other years, Auburn just hasn't been competitive. We've seen several blowouts against Georgia recently, namely this past Saturday. Zeroing in on the Deep South's oldest rivalry, folks are angry with the way Auburn has performed, especially on offense. Under Malzahn, Auburn averages just 16.3 points per game against the Bulldogs, and that is including the two performances that Auburn scored at least 40 points on them. That, That includes the two wins. In the seven losses to Georgia under Malzahn, Auburn has averaged a putrid 9.1 points per game. I understand the frustration with Gus Malzahn. With all that being said, I'm here to tell you it's not time to jump off the Gus bus. First of all, if you look out the window, I think if you were to get off the Gus bus, you'd fall off a cliff. All right, Auburn right now is in a very delicate situation time in its program history, especially considering both of its rivals, Georgia and Alabama, and then LSU's coming off of a national championship, are enjoying their best runs in program history. It's a dangerous time to start calling for your head coach's head 
before you bring the pitchforks and the torches to my village to pillage it, hear me out. Do you remember the 2017 football season, the year Auburn beat two number one teams and won the SEC West crown? You remember how that year started out? Jarrett Stidham ran for his life, 13 sacks against Clemson in game two. And that was the worst offensive line performance that I've ever seen, ever. Even worse than this past Saturday against Georgia. And yes, I was having flashbacks with Bo Nix as often as he was leaving the pocket, which I also think was a Bo Nix issue. I don't fully credit the offensive line with this past Saturday's loss. Yes, it was worse than this last Saturday at Georgia. Even the next week in 2017, Auburn only beat Mercer 24-10, to turned the ball over several times, awful performance. Had everybody thinking, oh no, this thing's about to go off the rails. And it didn't. Nonetheless, what happened? Auburn improved. They even lost LSU later in the year, and, and some people even thought that they had confirmed that Gus Malzahn, it was time to go. I may have even been one of those people. But what happened? Auburn went on to beat two number one teams, and they beat them bad. They beat them handily, and they went to the SEC championship that year for just the purposes of keeping the peace. Just point number one here. If I can, if I can stop you here, for just the purposes of keeping the peace and not heaping negative energy on the players, which, yes, they do hear you. Social media has made it easier than ever, or harder than ever, rather, for players to be protected from the negative energy that can come from a fan base. There is no barrier now. Those players, if they're on social media, they see it. They see what you're saying. And yes, it can add a toxic nature to a program and can bring it down. So just for the purposes of keeping the peace, if you love your team, maybe, just maybe, you should bite your tongue until the end of the season. But if you can't do that, if you're not about keeping the peace, let's entertain your idea of firing Malzahn. Who do you want to hire? The worst thing Auburn could do is fire without a plan. I love to ask this question to people. Who do you want to hire? I always get a variation of the response. I don't know. If you want to fire your coach, at least have a plan of where you want to move ahead from that point on. If not, if you can't come up with something, then it's an emotional overreaction. And and like I said, we're still in game two, and there's a chance for this year to turn it around. Maybe right now isn't the time to be saying, hey, we need to fire our coach. If you do have a name, though, I'll entertain it. That's the thing. I I started this segment saying I understand the frustration. I get it. I feel like it is getting stale on the planes right now. I understand the frustration with Malzahn and his shortcomings. He's a four or five loss coach every year. The offense looks horrible for the so-called offensive genius. Time and time again, he's tried to have a fix fix for the offense, and it hasn't happened. This year, we thought Chad Morris would be it. Falls horribly flat in the Georgia game, and it it looked like Auburn reverted back to some of the things that they've done poorly in previous years, and it seems like they missed the mark completely on the game plan entirely against Georgia. Seems like almost every year they miss the mark on the game plan. So I get it. I understand people's frustration with Malzahn, but you got to give me a name that at least makes sense. You have to exclude the coaches that are at better programs than Auburn. You're not getting Ryan Day, you're not getting Nick Saban, and you're not getting Dabo Sweeney. As far as elite coaches in college football right now, that's it. We just crossed every name off of the elite head coach list in college football. Elite is an exclusive club, and those guys are running the game right now in college football, and you're not getting any of those names. Also, if you're living in the fairy tale land, 
that houses Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops, known as retirement, you need to snap out of it. They're not coming to Auburn. It's not happening. Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer will not coach at Auburn. So then let's throw out some of the hot shot names then that are at a lower tier than Auburn right now. P.J. Fleck isn't leaving Minnesota. He's probably the hottest name at a program that's just under Auburn as far as tiers are concerned. They just beat Auburn too, so you know that the guy has the talent to possibly compete in the SEC. He's getting paid a pretty penny by Minnesota. He just signed an extension just this past year. He's a Midwest guy. I don't. You don't typically see Midwesterners come into the SEC, but if that's not a good enough reason for you, because we've seen Mike Leach make the jump from the Pacific Northwest all the way to the SEC, if that's not a good enough reason, why in the world would you leave a cushy program that loves and applauds its coach for winning eight or nine games every year? The expectations are lower at Minnesota. The guy got an extension, and he wins you know, nine or ten games. They love him. They're not expecting him to compete for national championships. The expectations are so low. Why would you leave and go to a program that's head coach is perpetually on the hot seat? That you have to beat two of the best programs in college football to not be on the hot seat. We already, For reasons that we've already discussed, I, we know that a coach isn't going to do that. Jerry Kill was beloved at Minnesota, the coach before P.J. Fleck. You know how many wins he averaged per year? He was beloved. He averaged 5.8 wins per year at Minnesota. 5.8. They loved the guy. Never felt like he was on the hot seat. B.J. Fleck goes there, wins nine games. They might as well build the guy a statue. There's no reason for him to come here. Auburn is one bad coaching hire away from flushing the program, and there is no better example of that than the team that beat them in the 2013 National Championship, Florida State. If you had gone back to 2013 and just, or even 2014 and drawn up the trajectory of these two programs, if I had told you five years later Florida State would be the worst team of the ACC and Auburn would still be in the middle of the pack, you might have believed the Auburn was in the middle of the pack part, but you would not have believed the Florida State was a dumpster fire part, right? And now look at Florida State struggling with Jacksonville State for an entire half and then another portion of the next half. That is not the Florida State that we saw almost a decade ago or seven years ago. They make one bad hire after Jimbo Fisher leaves. One. And now they're on to Mike Norvell after they had to abort from Willie Taggart after two years. And this program could go winless in the ACC. I don't think they will, but they're definitely not winning more than two games in the ACC this year. You're looking at a three-win Florida State team this year probably. They struggled to beat FCS Jacksonville State. Oh, how far. The Seminoles have fallen. If Auburn gets this next one wrong, you may not be looking at four or five losses. You may be looking at seven per year. It is not a far fall, and that's why I opened up this segment saying, if you get off the gust bus, well, you might fall off a cliff here. Once again, I get people's frustration, and it may be time to go and take a risk and go out there, and the risk may pay off. There may be an unnamed coach out there, like a Billy Napier. There might be somebody out there that, could pay off, or you could end up with Mike Norvell, and it'd be a very rocky start and could be very difficult to dig the program out of the gutter. Very difficult. Aside from Kansas, Auburn is the toughest job in college football. No other team has been able to endure the parameters that Malzahn has had to endure as head coach at Auburn. His two biggest rivals, as already noted, are enjoying the most blessed and fruitful 
runs in program history. Oh, by the way, regionally, Clemson is having a dominant run and is also enjoying their greatest dynasty ever in the history of their program. And Florida is back to being good again as well. Auburn does not have a pipeline state. No other portion in this country has as as much elite competition in recruiting that they have to deal with. No other team in the country has to deal with as much elite competition in recruiting as Auburn does. Auburn doesn't have a pipeline state in Alabama, Georgia, or Florida. And those are the three primary states that Auburn recruits. And they are not the first choice in any of those states. They may not even be the second or third choice or fourth choice in Florida. They're the second choice in Alabama and Georgia. Look at other great dynasties and see how the rival has done during that time period. In the stretch that we saw USC win seven straight Pac-12 titles, UCLA went 47-41. and 41. In the stretch, Clemson has now won five straight ACC championships. South Carolina has gone 29-34, and 34, and we saw the end of the Steve Spurrier run. Michigan hasn't won a title since 2004, a Big Ten title, since 2004, while Ohio State has won nine. Jim Harbaugh, honestly, is the closest coach and, the, and Michigan is the closest comparison to Auburn as far as a rivalry comparison between the Auburn and Alabama rivalry and how those shape up. Michigan is to Auburn as Ohio State is to Alabama. One team is clearly in the shadow of the other program. And Jim Harbaugh, if you look at the records, he's a four-loss coach every year right now at Michigan. He has a couple more 10-win seasons than Malzahn has had in a shorter time period. But once again, and Michigan's different than Auburn here because Michigan's the first choice in the state of Michigan. So at least they have their own state, right? Nobody has had to endure the parameters that Gus Malzahn has had to endure. And so my question to you is, after all this, and if you still want to and you can come up with a name, we'll entertain it. But my question to you is, are you sure, without a doubt, that there is a coach out there that can do better than Gus Malzahn with the pressure that he has from outside the program from fans and with the intensity of competition in the region that he is located in. I don't think that there is another coach out there that has proven they can do that. Keyword there is proven. There might be a guy out there who could come here and do that, could come to Auburn, could come to the state of Alabama and do that. But I don't think right now there is a coach out there who has proven it. Even look at Mario Cristobal. For some reason, people think that the guy at Oregon's a pretty bang-up, great head coach. No. If you're losing three or four games in the Pac-12, and I understand he went to the Rose Bowl last year, but he did lose to the fifth-best, sixth-best team of the SEC last year in Auburn. Once again, that's one of the best head coaches, if not the best head coach, that the Pac-12 has to offer, and he's not even elite in his own conference. He's not even leaps leaps and bounds ahead of other teams in his own conference. There's no name that you could throw at me from the Big 12, ACC, Pac-12, Big 10, that might come to Auburn, that I'm like, yeah, those guys have proven they can come to the SEC and, and handle the pressure of it. Campbell at Iowa State's a name that's been thrown out there several times. Guy's a four-loss team at Iowa State, granted, Iowa State, but Auburn did that experiment already. Been there, done that. Of course, it did lead to a national championship, but it also led to a 3-9 and season. I think Gene Chizik is a good coach, 
But I stand by my point. If you take Cam Newton out of the 2010 season, what does Auburn look like in that four-year stretch under, under Gene Chizik? Does he do better than four or five losses every year? In 2009 without Cam, eight and five. In 2011 without Cam Newton, eight and five. 2012, three and nine. I think the point stands. Are you without a doubt sure that there's someone out there? Because I'm looking outside the Gus bus right now, and I'm saying I like it better on the inside than the outside. On the other side of this break, I did some research on some offensive line recruiting rankings, and it's pretty jarring when you look at how Auburn performed on the offensive line this past Saturday, but also look at what Tennessee was able to do against Missouri. There's some interesting things. If you go and take a look at offensive line recruiting rankings and what indicators that may be for success this year, we got that coming up here on, on, the, or on Running the Point. on Running the Point on Facebook on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner here with you. Or if you're listening on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, I teased this segment talking about offensive line recruiting rankings and some interesting research that I was able to do over the weekend. Auburn's loss to Georgia prompted me to go out and to dig to see what Auburn's offensive line looked like as recruits. Because, to be honest with you, four and five stars, they are the most prepared to start right away on a line. Auburn's got some guys, really their entire offensive line are are juniors, and so they've been in the program for a couple of years, so you would have hoped development would have gotten them to a little bit better than their performance on Saturday. But I went back, I went and looked and saw what Auburn's starting offensive line was as recruits according to 24-7 sports composite rankings. And once again, offensive line play was not the sole issue in Auburn's loss to Georgia. I thought quarterback play was abysmal. Worst performance that I have seen from Bo Nix in his career, even stretching back to game one against Oregon and last year's meeting against LSU. This was, this was the worst quarterback performance that I have seen from an Auburn quarterback since possibly even Jeremy Johnson. I mean, I I thought it was very poor, but the offensive line definitely did not help. So here is the offensive line recruiting rankings according to 24-7 Sports Composite for Auburn. Left tackle, Alec Jackson, three-star. Number 49, defensive tackle. Left guard, Tayshawn Manning, three-star. Number 61, defensive tackle. So on the most important side of your offensive line, protecting the blind side of your quarterback, you have three low, or two, excuse me, two low three-star recruits from the defensive side of the ball. They weren't even recruited to play offensive line. Or maybe they did with intentions to move them over to the offense. But this isn't even a Prince Tega Winoko situation where they were at least a four-star and were athletic freaks. These guys are low three-star defensive tackle recruits that got moved to the most important side of the offensive line, the side of the line that you should be recruiting the heaviest. Center, Nick Brahms, four-star, number 10 guard. Hey, that's a good one right there. Right guard, Brandon Council, Akron transfer, two-star. 
Right tackle, Broderius Ham, three-star, number 33, offensive tackle, which that's, a, that's more of a high three-star situation. And so this offensive line, I don't know how you expect to compete for SEC championships with an offensive line like this. There's a direct link between winning and recruiting in the SEC or really anywhere else in the country, but their other conferences are a little bit more forgiving to a roster that is heavy laden with three starts. The SEC, not so much. Sure, development means the world. Yes, it does. I had, a, I had several people in my mentions on Saturday night saying, yes, development can build up a three-star, but here's the thing. It's that fourth year. It, it, the the three-stars, when they enter their senior year, sure, if you've, if you've done a great job of developing those players, those three-stars, yes, then they are good. But the other three years of the cycle, you, your offensive line's no good or is average at best. The offensive line is the major area, really the only area where Auburn has whiffed in recruiting. Every year, you should have at least five guys coming in or around five guys coming in because that will account for if a guy bombs out, if they don't if they don't develop properly, if they transfer, injuries, you account for misses. Auburn has not been able to hit that mark. Nor have they gotten high quality players on the offensive line to come in. I understand looking at an offensive line that looks like this if it's year 2 or maybe even year 3 of a coach's tenure, but this is year eight under Gus Malzahn. The offensive line should not look like this. So I said, well, it's time to go and compare this to some other O-lines. So I went and I dug up Jeremy Pruitt's recruiting rankings for his offensive line that started on Saturday. This is what his offensive line looks like in year three. Yes, those are three five-star recruits on the offensive line. Left tackle, Wanya Morris, five-star, the number six offensive tackle. Left guard, Trey Smith, Five-star, number four offensive tackle. Center, Brandon Kennedy, four-star, number 19 offensive guard. Right guard, Jeremy Carvin, four-star, number 26 offensive tackle. And right tackle, Darnell Wright, five-star, number two offensive tackle. They have three tackles that were ranked inside the top six of the position rankings, and they're all three five-stars. And you can move offensive linemen around based on skill set, athleticism, at the end of the day, you just want guys who can move, who can block. It's year three, and that's what Tennessee's offensive line looks like. It's year eight, and that's what Auburn's offensive line looks like. With that kind of offensive line, Tennessee's going to be a tough out for a lot of teams this year, including Auburn. I was feeling better about the Tennessee game, leaving the Kentucky game, but... Going into the Tennessee game now, and after seeing what Georgia was able to do against the ground uh, against Auburn on the ground, I'm thinking Tennessee's going to run the ball six yards a carry, just like Georgia was, maybe more. So let's go and look at what Georgia's offensive line looked like in, in recruiting rankings. Left tackle, Jamari Sawyer, five-star, number one offensive guard. Left guard, Justin Schaefer, three-star, number 23 offensive guard. Center, Trey Hill, four-star, number three center. Right guard, Ben Cleveland, four-star, number 10 offensive tackle. And then right tackle, Owen Condon, three-star, number 32 offensive tackle. Even the three-stars on Georgia's lines are super high three-stars. Borderline four-star when you're talking about Justin Schaefer. The four-star recruit at center, Trey Hill, he was the number three center. That's, that's as good of a center as you're going to get. That, to me, that's like recruiting a five-star because he's at the top of his position rankings in the offensive line. Centers don't typically, you don't see five stars out there. 
So this Georgia offensive line, even the three stars are high three stars, and they've been behind an offensive line that sent out four guys to the NFL draft this past year that they're having to replace. So I know they've been in the program for a little while, at least developing. There's been more continuity on that uh, in that offensive line room. Georgia's offensive line looks better than Auburn's. Guess what? It performed better. It gave a walk-on the time, all of the time in the world to throw. And it gave running backs wide open holes to run through. It may not look as good as Tennessee's. Georgia's may not. But this unit lost four players, like I said, to the draft. And they've had more continuity. And it still performed leaps and bounds in front of where Auburn's is. Auburn's offensive line struggled last year. I thought it did. And this year, going into the year, I thought addition by subtraction. I thought those guys needed to go, and I thought a new offensive line, maybe it would perform better. I was wrong. But this year, the unit will have to develop fast if Auburn's going to keep its head above water, namely Bo Nix off the turf. And running backs at least being able to find holes, because I thought Tank Bigsby looked great in the game against Georgia. Showcased his ability to catch the football. I thought he possessed, he's possessed the most explosive running ability that we've seen out of an Auburn running back since early in Malzahn's tenure. More explosive than Carrion Johnson. Not as good of a running back as Carrion Johnson, but I think he's more explosive. He's a little bit faster, has a quicker burst. He's got great balance for a freshman, great vision and patience. Very impressed with Tank Bigsby throughout his first two games at Auburn. If they can keep the guy healthy, I think you can ride this guy. He can be the bell cow back for Auburn, but he's got to get some help on the offensive line, and Bo Nix has got to get some help as well from those guys in front of him. Auburn is going to waste a potential, and I don't like to use these types of – I don't like to use this lightly. I don't like it because it can sometimes sound like hyperbole, but Bo Nix has the potential to put his name in the Heisman hat by the time he leaves Auburn. He's got the arm talent. We saw the progression in week one against Kentucky, and this past week it looked like he reverted back to some of the things that he struggled with last year, like dropping his eyes – feeling phantom pressure, leaving the pocket too early. But he's got to get help on the offensive line. A bad offensive line can make a good quarterback look average. And likewise, a great offensive line can make a average or below average quarterback look good. Looking at Georgia right now with Stetson Bennett, I just do not believe that that guy is going to lead Georgia to win the SEC East this year. But he's got the players around him to help him do it. Alabama's done that with their quarterbacks over the years. And yes, they, they're better than Stetson Bennett, but Alabama's been able to make guys like Jake Coker and Blake Sims look great. I don't think Mac Jones is a 400-yard passer every week, but the receivers in the offensive line allow him to be so. On the other side of this break, we got game predictions coming up here on Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Running the point, we've got game predictions here for you on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama are on demand on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcast. We'll start it off with our expose pick of the week. And I said last week that we would 
begin this segment in picks or a part of picks where I would pick an underdog essentially to expose a team that is favored to win that week. I'm 2-0 this year on exposed picks. Of course, I did get the Auburn game wrong last week, but Auburn was the underdog and my exposed pick was Kentucky to lose to Ole Miss. This week, I am pulling the trigger on Georgia. I sat alone in a room and talked to myself into this pick. Number 14, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. Georgia's a 12-point favorite at 230 on the CBS game. Earlier in the show, we showed you the recruiting history on these offensive lines. The offensive line is as good as the hype suggests at Tennessee. For that reason, Tennessee is better equipped to protect Garantano and establish a run against Georgia than Auburn was. I think I think you get the matchup that you wanted in the Auburn-Georgia game on Saturday in the Tennessee-Georgia game. And Tennessee always seems to play Georgia pretty tough. Tennessee's been good against the run, holding opponents to 107.5 rushing yards per game. For the first time this year, the pressure is going to be on Stetson Bennett to make plays to help Georgia win. And I think Tennessee's defense through two games actually looks a little bit better than Auburn's does. I'm ready to get hurt again. Rocky top. They're going to beat Georgia. That is my expose pick of the week. Getting into the rest of the slate, number four, Florida, six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at 21, Texas A&M, 11 a.m. on ESPN. Florida's got to be tired of these 11 a.m. kickoffs. They've been one of the best teams in the SEC up to this point, but I do think this defense is suspect now after how well we saw South Carolina be able to throw the football against the Gators, even scoring 24 points. I think this defense is suspect. Accident-prone Texas A&M showed last week they weren't ready to compete with the top teams in the SEC. New Year, same A&M. Cal Trask, though, still tossing the ball around like a Heisman contender. I will say this. So this Florida defense is suspect. They're giving up 327.5 passing yards per game. What? These guys want to be called DBU most years, and they've had great defense backs this year. I think A&M will be able to throw the football, but I do like Kyle Trask over Kelamon. He protects the football more, and like I said, A&M prone to accidents. They make one. They, they make a spill on Saturday against Florida. Third game, we've got number 19, Virginia Tech, at number 8, North Carolina. Five-and-a-half-point favorites are the Tar Heels at 11 a.m. on ABC. This was almost my exposed pick of the week. Clash of styles here. Virginia Tech averaging over 300 yards on the ground, while UNC is only allowing 54. North Carolina's offense, they've been underwhelming for the amount of talent comeback. That's why it scares me that they haven't been able to easily handle Syracuse and Boston College, and now that they're taking on a ranked team at Virginia Tech with a little bit better of a pedigree than North Carolina, this is the type of win that North Carolina needs to really propel itself into having a successful ACC season and really trying to get into that ACC title game against presumably Clemson. The difference here, I think, is going to be the quarterback play. UNC's Howell, although a shaky start to this year with three touchdowns to three INTs, he's better than Virginia Tech's Burmeister North Carolina for the win, but I really don't feel good about it. Number 22, Texas versus Oklahoma. One-and-a-half-point favorites are the Sooners in uh, the Cotton Bowl at 11 a.m. on Fox. I would feel so much better about this game if I wasn't picking Oklahoma to lose three straight games, but I am. This one's going to be a shootout, probably the funnest game to watch on Saturday if you love offense, if you like points to be scored. I think Texas's offense with Sam Ellinger, 14 TDs in three games. I think they've got a little bit more firepower than OU. The Big 12's a cesspool. It really is. I mean, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma right now and comparing him to Ellinger, Ellinger's not as turnover prone as, as Rattler has. And for some reason, Oklahoma has not been able to just punch past some of these smaller teams like Kansas State and then Iowa State last week. Texas, they haven't looked good either. 
Very underwhelming. And this uh, it would be the year that Oklahoma's 0-2 in the Big 12 that Texas would not be able to capitalize. Oklahoma State's running for their life from mediocrity in the Big 12. I do like Texas, but I do not feel good about it. Arkansas at number 13, Auburn, 14-point favorites are the Tigers, 3 p.m. SEC Network. Like I said earlier, don't hop off the Gus bus just yet. He's got a good track record against Arkansas. Auburn still has more talent than Arkansas. How Auburn bounces back, though, from last week's loss will be a big indicator for me on where this team is at right now compared to the other teams in this league. If they struggle, well, I don't think things look great because I don't see this offensive line improving leaps and bounds throughout this year. Maybe marginally they'll improve. But if Auburn blesses them out, well, maybe there's something to salvage this year. And honestly, you could see Auburn not lose another game until they play Tennessee. And then November, once again, is still up in the air for Auburn to get into the SEC championship. But they got to improve. And as uh, producer Top Gun Terry Sprayberry would say, they got to get it together fast. Coming up next, Kansas State at TCU, 8.5-point favorites, Horned Frogs, 3 p.m. Fox. The 8.5-point lines because of the injury to Skylar Thompson at Kansas State. Um, Once again, the Big 12 is a cesspool, and Oklahoma State is running for its life from mediocrity. Kansas State is undefeated in the conference play and tied for first in the Big 12 with the Cowboys. TCU looked good. Max Duggan's been a saving grace for the Horned Frogs that lost to Iowa State in week one. They inserted him in late in that Iowa State game and then let him start this past week against Texas. He looks great. I'm going to take with TCU in this one just because of the injury to Skylar Thompson. Kind of takes the air out of this matchup a little bit, but I'm with TCU. Number two, Alabama at Ole Miss, 5 p.m. ESPN. Your sledgehammer meets glass window pane, glass window pane game. It's going to be like ripping a wet paper bag when Alabama's offense tears through Ole Miss's defense. Alabama wins, but how does the Ole Miss offense do against the Crimson Tide? If they put up more points than A&M did, then the rest of the Rebel schedule needs to watch out. I'm looking at you, Auburn, whose defense right now maybe resembles a little bit more of Ole Miss's than any of the other good teams in the SEC. Ole Miss is going out kicking and screaming in this game. They might, just might, cover. I, I, something about the 23 points and how good Ole Miss's offense is has got me feeling spicy, but I'm taking Alabama in this one. Number seven, Miami at number one, Clemson, 14-point favorites to the Tigers, 6.30 p.m. ABC. Miami's good, but I don't think they're Clemson good, and I'm really beginning to question the Hurricanes now after how bad Florida State is and Louisville losing to Pittsburgh. I just don't trust this Miami team to close that gap this quickly, year two under Diaz. Offense looks good. We'll find out if it's for real, though, against Clemson and how good this attack is if they can put up some points. We might see this matchup again at the end of the year if North Carolina can't get over the hump and then whatever Notre Dame does this year. Clemson, they're going to get up for this one. They may not have looked invincible the first couple of weeks. They're going to in this one. Mississippi State at Kentucky, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Wildcats at 6.30 p.m. SEC Network. Mississippi State last week against Arkansas. Prime example of why you don't overreact to week one or week two and why the air raid isn't sustainable anywhere in college football. Costello goes from Tiger Tamer to getting run over by the Wild Hogs. I think Mississippi State will be able to throw on Kentucky, though. I think this is the game that really benefits Mississippi State's style of play, considering Kentucky's giving up over 275 passing yards per game on defense. Terry Wilson continues to struggle throwing the ball down the field. Once again, I was right last week about Kentucky losing to Ole Miss. I think this is I think they lose to another Mississippi school right here. Kentucky fans are going to be wondering where all the hype went and went down the drain. Mississippi State 
going to beat Kentucky and send them to 0 and 3. Hell State gets the W. Last game we got right here Missouri at number 17, LSU, 20 and a half point favorites, 8 p.m. ESPN. Whoa, now. This line feels lofty. 20 and a half points to LSU. I'm not ready to say that LSU's back and ready to contend just because they beat Vanderbilt. Not ready for it yet. LSU gets another win this week, mainly because the Missouri offense has no idea who they are right now. No idea. They're cycling between two quarterbacks, Robinson and Basilak, and Basilak showed flashes against Tennessee, but they still only scored 12 points. Uh, This Missouri offense isn't going to put up the points they need to against an LSU defense that is still pretty good. The Bayou Bengals are going to get the win. That does it for another edition of Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. I'll be back with you next week, same time, same place. You know where to find us. God bless everybody.